welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello, and welcome to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. Today's show, I have Mark Halpern, CEO of WealthInsurance.ca. Mark is a well-known insurance advisor in Canada that has differentiated himself specifically by focusing very heavily on philanthropy. And I brought him on the show to talk about how business owners can enable their philanthropy through the use of insurance and other tactics. And with that, here's my interview with Mark. Hello, Mark. Hey, Jason. Thanks for taking the time today. My pleasure. Nice to make the time. So Mark Halpern of Wealth Insurance, tell us about what it is you do. So I'm almost 30 years in professional practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a certified financial planner, a trust and estate practitioner, also a, a master financial advisor in philanthropy. And uh, what I do is sort of three things. We do estate planning, and that's really looking at things from 30,000 feet up, making sure that people's financial architecture matches up with their financial furniture and it changes over time. Uh, Second thing is tax minimization strategies using uh, tax-exempt insurance products that most people don't know much about. So we provide uh-huh. that education wisdom. And the last area we're involved with is philanthropy, helping people create legacies and also help them convert taxes into charitable donations. And we do this with uh, business owners and entrepreneurs and corporate professionals. We have some sports athletes as well. And, and we work with wealthy Canadian families. Excellent. So I brought you on the show specifically because we've covered off a number of areas of estate planning in the past. But one, one area we haven't tackled as heavily is the facilitation of philanthropic desires through your estate planning, specifically when we start talking about insurance. So let's just say, I'll give you a scenario. I'm a business owner. I am, let's call it in my 50s, I am charitably inclined. You have a conversation with me and discover this. How does that conversation go? Where does it lead? Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you that people come to me and say, hey, Mark, I want to give away $5 million to charity. How do I do it? We have had those conversations, but generally mm-hmm. speaking, it's it's really looking at things from 30,000 feet in terms of a very holistic approach and finding the money and finding the desire for, for individuals. Many Canadians are very passionate about charity and you know that's two thirds of their giving is predicated on that. But when they find out that there's a tax advantage as well, suddenly that gets them to think more greatly about what they can do and how they can impact a lot of change. And the reason that we, we do this is that a lot of people have done investing and they've become very, very successful but what they haven't done is a lot of planning. Planning is sort of making sure they have a check mark that they're never going to run out of money based on all mm-hmm. the assumptions. And that also it helps to crystallize what their tax bill is going to be now and what it'll be at life expectancy. And then what they do realize, Jason, is that they're going to have more money when they die than what they have today. So yeah. while they're sitting there as the custodian or trustee for the next generation, what they're not aware of is that they're also partnering with the tax department. So if yeah. we can show them how we can take some of that never spend money that they're just paying taxes on and use it instead to create a whole bunch of money for their family to preserve their estate or create a whole bunch of money for charities, is that something they'd be interested in? And most of the time they would agree. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I've had several cases where we finished the financial plan and they see this large number at the end and they're like, I'm going to leave how much money to my kids? 
I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> or, or like, maybe I shouldn't. And it's like, I'm going to, and then, and then of course, the second part of that is, wait a sec, why did the line go from this high to this high? Like you're saying I'm dying with this much money, but then I'm left with this much to give them. My, I'm not understanding. It's like, well, your secret partner has finally come to collect their share. Right. And that secret partner being CRA. And, you know, they look at them, the numbers enough to sometimes make you make your next snap back. And, and that number might increase very shortly, depending on what happens in the next budget. But the question of, well, how do I reduce that always comes up. And uh, yeah, charitable inclinations. That's the great thing about charity is that not only can we do good, we can also reduce our tax bill. Yeah. And, and, and really, people think that if I give money to charity, I'm basically cutting off my children as beneficiaries. But I like to say giving money to charity is like adopting another child. Your kids are going to get exactly. exactly what they were supposed to, but now you've yeah. adopted somebody else into it. And I have had situations where people have said, no, you know, let's face it, charity begins at home. I want to give all my money to the kids, to the grandchildren. And if anything, remember, Jason, it says like Freedom 55, right, is, mm-hmm. is the Great London Life slogan. But Freedom 55 today is when your youngest kid is 55. It's like, in other words, it's gotten where yeah. we really need to plan, not just for our own retirement and life expectancy, but also for our kids as well. But there is something very special about adding charity to your estate planning because there's a big difference between being somebody who donates money to charity and somebody who is a philanthropist. And the good news, you don't have to be you know, Warren Buffett or Bill Gates to become a philanthropist. It just requires having a discussion around the efficient use of your assets and how you can convert those into beautiful charitable gifts. And I like the way you put that. There's a difference between being charitable, being philanthropic, and we're all inundated with just this death by a thousand cuts of requests for, you know, 50 bucks here, 100 bucks here, ride to conquer this, you know, lottery for that. And so we are, we are, just the charitable apparatus is trying to get as much money out of us in for good purposes, fine. But the thing about death is it presents a unique opportunity or unique time and place in at the end of one's life where the incentive system completely shifts. It's no longer about you having enough. It's about what do you want to leave behind? How do you want to be remembered? And also, again, that tax bill, right? So, and then that's where charity pops up and helps deal with a number of those issues potentially. Yeah, and I, I call that going from success to significance, right? Mm-hmm. I've had people cry in our conversations where they've just been so focused on making money and building a business, but they really had not spent the time around that significant part, you know, like if you look at a business owner, I'm a business owner. It's something that consumes you 24 hours a day. I'm just grateful I have something called the Sabbath. At least I can take 25 hours off (laughs) once a week, but it really is something that is on people's minds because not only are the charities definitely affected now, especially with COVID, you know, you've seen this Mm. huge drop of billions of dollars, but people now are much more aware of their mortality and they realize that the time or the runway is, is shortened because of COVID. And now they really are inspired to do something more significant because they realize that if they're not around, those options fall off the table. So it's a great time to be speaking to clients about it, but it has to be part of every conversation. And as for the, I'm going to, I'm just going to throw in there about your comment about, you know, life being shorter in COVID. Well, the honest truth is you look at the actual data that's come out to date is indicative of almost two years being wiped out of life expectancy across the globe, right? So that kind of makes it resonate a little bit more. Yes, it could happen to you. It could happen to anyone, yeah. but really, I mean, whatever you thought you were going to live with, as long as this is around, shave two years off of that is where really wow. look wow. at. Wow. I'm sure it's going to yeah. affect, it's going to affect actuarial tables and the cost of insurance and getting insurance and all that sort of stuff. 
stuff. Look, at I, I didn't think that we would be so heavily invested in the, in the philanthropy space. You know, I grew up in a very charitable family and always been involved with volunteering, president of a nonprofit, you know, I'm on some foundations, but I didn't think from a business point of view, we would go that, that deep. But now our corporate objective as a company is to create $100 million of new charity every year. And that's oh, wow. either, yeah. And it's not, it's not some sort of aspirational, impossible sort of breaking the Roger Battister four minute mile. The way we're doing that is working with our existing clients or working with generous donors of the nonprofits that we work with or educating allied professionals, lawyers, accountants, insurance, investment people who are really the gatekeepers of their clients' wealth to help them understand how easy it is and what they should be doing because it's, a, it's not only an opportunity, but it's a huge responsibility. The statistics say that 81% of advisors say they have a philanthropic conversation with their clients and then mm-hmm. they interviewed those same clients and the client said only 13% of advisors yeah. were talking to them about it. So it's not about- I'm in the 13 for the record, okay? I'm just going to be clear. <laughs> Jason, we're going we're gonna to move you up, okay? By the time there we're we over. But, but it's not about being a lawyer and you get to the part where you say, oh, would you like to leave any gifts to charity? That's oh. not having a philanthropic conversation. So, so the way to do it is either learn about it yourself, which mm-hmm. is very rewarding, or- collaborate, find somebody, work with somebody on a collaborative basis. We talked earlier, Jason, that we're in a very a world of hyper-specialty right now. You can't yep. be all things to all people. So you're a hyper-specialist. Then you have a bench strength, like a baseball team that you bring in people who are the specialists in that area. And I think that's the only way to get this done. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, if you go to one person who can who claims to do it all themselves, you're dealing with someone who's being fraudulent because there's no way. There's just too much to know about. Hey, it's like the same thing I say about lawyers. You know, I... I never hire a do everything lawyer. I always say, if there's more than two specializations, you better start to cringe uh, because it's just, there's too much to know. There's just too much to know. But as a planner, I think there's unique opportunity and perspective to have that. Just a couple of questions will change or a couple of things you do can help you assess that. I mean, like in my own practice, in our onboarding questionnaire, there is a question about causes and charities and initiatives that matter to them, right? And some people will fill that out. And then others, you know, will just go looking at their tax returns. Like, is there charitable, are there charitable contributions being made? Where are those charitable contributions being made? And sometimes you find repeatable ones of reasonable size to one specific institution. And maybe you didn't, you ask the question around why, and you find out there's this deeply personal reason why they want to support that institution, right? And then being able to open up and have a deeper conversation about what we can do for that institution is just, you know, that conversation just changes, you know, no one wants to talk about sharp ratios and everything else, but they'll, they'll sure as heck want to talk about what, how they want to be remembered. Absolutely. I th- I'd say there are two things I'm going to just bring up, I think, in terms of yeah. opportunities. One way, I find that the whole philanthropic conversation as part of the estate planning mix, there's an intro, which is the emotional part. Then there's the technical stuff, which is all these different apparatus or apparati that you can sort of structure. And then there's a, mm-hmm. a, an emotional part to close it. But one of the first questions you should ask, tell people is that each one of us has three possible beneficiaries to our estate. You have family, you've got the tax department, and you have charity. And each one of us can only pick two. Which two would you yeah. pick? Most people would say family and charity, unless they're a big socialist, which again, we live in an amazing country that needs tax revenues, but there's only mm. so much tax. The second I thing- I think it's I, kind of, if I may, I think it's yeah. that the choice between tax and charity is a choice between directing your legacy and leaving an undirected legacy to some degree, right? Excellent. Because yep. 
Yes, because the government's going to spend it how they see fit, and it's going to be a lot of good social causes funded through that. But there's something that matters more to you than the general pool. You can you can voice that. It's like, do you like the idea of the government investing your money, your your yeah. legacy money, or would you rather direct it yourself to the charities and causes that you care about the most? Well, that's I a classic that's- line about the state about state planning too. Is like, are you you know you don't have a will, so you're happy with the will that the government's drawn up for you. Right, right, right. right. That's, that's it. So, so the other thing that I think people have to be aware of, and this comes back to education and knowledge. And Jason, I'm sure you see this also in your in your world. The lack of knowledge around taxes, or you know, mm-hmm. terminal taxes, is beyond beyond. So, I would suggest that the greatest opportunity for advisors, and even for people who are listening or just regular folk, is if you're a single, widowed, or divorced you need to have this conversation more than most. Because if you have a spouse and you die, all of your assets roll over tax-free through a spousal tax-free rollover to your spouse, and taxes are not due until the second to die. But if you're single, widowed, or divorced, you're one incident away from a huge tax disposition. Jason, isn't it amazing how many people have RSPs or RIFs and don't realize that 54% of that money is going to be going to the government? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, honestly. It's... um... And the old, the old, <laughs> the, I love the old, okay, so how do I reduce that? So you can either spend it all while you're alive and you're still, they're still going to get their 54% or you can start talking about giving it to someone other than the government. Exactly. So there's different ways, of course, giving that cash flow to a charity, in which case it kind of negates yeah. the tax now, or leaving it as a beneficiary designation to a charity, in which case the charity gets the money and not the tax department. But there are a number of other ways that are really creative where your family can actually get 50% more than what they were going to get on a net after-tax basis. And -hmm. you could be leaving a whole whack of money for charity, right? And this is where, again, the conversation about tax-efficient investments in Canada lies. There are really only four tax shelters left in Canada that are really, you know, one of them is your principal residence. For now, for now. Let's just just specify this is August of of 2020. We do not expect all of these to hold to, to be the same in five years. Let's, 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 put, let's put a little asterisk beside that. So it For should, now. Encourage, yeah. should encourage people all the more so to look after these things because often these things are grandfathered. But certainly principal residence, you buy yep. a house and you sell it, no tax on that, although they're looking at changing that. Don't count TFS, on that forever. TFSAs, right? Your money is tax-free. But again, it's only a minimum amount that you can put in every year. Yeah. Laundry winnings. Don't buy your tickets in the States. In Canada, lottery winnings are still tax-free. And the last one is life insurance. And other than these four things, there's somebody waiting from the CRA to be a partner in any of the gains you've made or any of the values. And they want anywhere between 27 and 54% of that money. So if you knew that life insurance is one of those tax-efficient structures, wouldn't it make sense to find out what it does? as opposed to what it is. And that's really where we've created some amazing ideas like CPP philanthropy. Uh, are you familiar mm-hmm. with that, Jason, how that works? I, I know where you're going with this, but it's your show. You go ahead and tell <laughs> us. <laughs> so, so, so if you're a wealthy Canadian family, a husband and wife, when you turn 65, one of the rights of our country is you receive CPP, which works out to about $26,000 a year between a husband and wife. If you've got lots of money, $26,000 does not move the dial. You know what I mean? You're taxed on it, you reinvest it, and you're taxed again. So what if you're a charitable person? That couple could take their CPP, the $26,000, and buy a $1.5 million life insurance policy. 
with that 26,000 as the premium. If the policy is owned by a charity, now that $26,000 of CPP is considered a charitable donation, there's no tax on your CPP and you've created a million and a half dollar gift. Or mm-hmm. alternatively, take the CPP money, buy the policy, don't have the tax break now, but make the beneficiary of the policy a charity upon when you die. Now the charity yep. gets a million and a half, saves your estate $750,000, unbelievable. And then the third way, which is the one I like, is if you go to your accountant, they'll generally say if you're taking money out of your RIF, they'll say take the minimum. Because if you take any more, you're going to be taxed on it. So you're taking out 5%, yep. you're making seven. So it's really a deferred tax bill that's coming down the road. Why not take that CPP, buy the million and a half dollar insurance policy, and make your children the beneficiary of that and donate yep. your registered money to charity. Now, the charity gets the full amount of your registered money without any tax considerations. And your kids got about 50% more, all by using something as simple as CPP. And again, if you're really don't want to use the charities, just use the CPP by insurance. Yeah. This way, it two that. points I want to address. Yeah. yeah, two points I want to address here. One, let's let's be clear. Unfortunately, in Ontario, we have the lowest credit rates for for charity uh, in the country. So, unfortunately, you don't get credits for fifty four percent, but you get pretty close, right? So, you know, yeah, yeah. So exactly right. And then the second piece is that what I like about the way you frame these things is that you're using something known as mental accounting, which is a behavioral finance kind of cognitive issue or trick, which basically says that people don't necessarily, in an academic world, money is fungible at all times and no money is different and should not be different in any people's minds. But we don't do that. People think of, you know, this is their retirement fund or this is their, you know, cottage fund. Like they, they do use mental accounting, create these little buckets. And this has actually proven to be a very effective way of getting people to, to, to visualize their retirement savings versus other savings. Now, what you're doing is you've taken the same structure and help people visualize these cash flow streams that, yeah, you know what, it's, you know, the CPP money is no different than the money in their bank account, it just came from a different source, but it's tangible to them because it's just because it comes from a certain source. And you're taking that and matching that with the strategy. And whereas the academics and, and everybody else say, well, it doesn't really matter. It's all just money to people. They are able to wrap their heads around that concept a lot easier because of it. And I'm sure that that leads to a lot more traction than just a general conversation about, oh, let's just buy insurance to make you wealthier because of whatever situation. No, let's take this one thing, tie it to this other thing. And here's the end result. Absolutely. You're, you're spot on. And I like that. It is psychology. People like to have a box, a check mark in that box. This thing is looked after. But if you were to go up to this family and say, hey, you can buy a million and a half dollar life insurance policy for $26,000 a year. Are you interested? They're not going to say they're voice? interested. I do. I'm using that voice. I'm going to say it now. <laughs> whenever, whenever I do these things, I always have to make that voice of that, you know, just so you differentiate between me and a possible client. But somebody's not going to be able to direct $26,000 of cash flow towards insurance. Doesn't make any sense. But if you, as you said, can direct it towards creating a million and a half dollar legacy gift. I actually asked earlier, Jason, about how to tie it in with regards to family and children and all the rest of it. And I mentioned about adopting new kids. We're living in very, very difficult times. Our, you know, we grew up, Jason, I'm a little older than you, but we grew up at a very idyllic time. You know, life was very idyllic. You spent your whole afternoon playing road hockey and, and you, you didn't have mm. people, you didn't be worried about being abducted and, and yet you didn't have play dates. You know, we were just all over the place. And it's changed a lot as have the sort of the values and we've gone to so much technology. So 
I look at in that philanthropy is kind of like, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You've heard that before. That's when the weather conditions are perfect. But if it's very windy, the apple is far from the tree. And if it's like a, a Hurricane Laura, the apple doesn't even know it came from a tree. So we're living those kinds of times. I believe that either religion or charity are two ways to pass along that moral muscle, that values muscle to our children, that they should yeah. see that there is a responsibility to give back, that there's social impact, that they have to be somebody who's a giver. And if you do that, the happiest people in the world are givers. And if you can create a structure for them, utilizing philanthropy, either setting up uh, your own private foundation or setting up a private foundation through one of the community foundations or the banks yeah. or, or the Toronto yeah, foundation, advice funds, yeah. advice funds, you're going to be giving them an ammunition to really build that muscle and carry on the good work that you've always wanted to do, but more so it's about our grandkids. Like, you know, we lived our life, so to speak, and I got hopefully another, you know, 50 years to go. And our kids are also close to the tree, but it's really the grandkids. Those are the ones that I'm, I'm really nervous about. And I think that the charity mm -hmm. is just a wonderful way to, to engage them. I know that some of my clients, including myself, I'll tell my daughter, listen, you can give away $1,000 to any charity that you'd like this year. It's, you can give it away on the condition yeah. that you have to research the charity, tell me yeah. all about the charity and why you want to get involved with that charity. And then I've got the money sitting in our family foundation. I'll send $1,000. It's got to go there. Yeah. But now, now there's meat on the bone. And I've used that exact strategy when talking to people about donor advised funds. It's, hey, you know what? If you want to talk about a family dynamics way of teaching your kids, you know, philanthropy and, and responsibility for the community, this is a wonderful way, right? Gets them to, they can give it to, you know, they're responsible for distribution, but they got to come to you as to why they want to distribute to there. I'll actually share with one, one with you. You may have seen this before. I'm not sure if you have, but this goes back, this goes even to way younger. And my kid, my five-year-old has one of these. You ever heard of the moon jar? I know I haven't. So it's, it goes by a couple of different names, but whether it be three different jars or one jar with three different slots, there's a, it's basically, it's a, it's a three piece, a three point piggy bank. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you can put money into three different slots. The first one says spend, the second one says save, and the third one says give. And the entire idea is that is to have them receive some sum of money regularly and tell them, okay, you have a choice. Which one of the three does it go in? You have to do something in each, right? So you're teaching them that from day one, that is like a require, almost like a required choice. It's, it's definitely, it's on the table from day one. And then the real way you add fuel to the fire of this is that you have to reinforce each of the decisions. So the first one, spend, is simple. That's reinforcement in itself, right? You have to enjoy that off the bat. Yep. Save, right? My son is currently saving for a Lego Batmobile, which is uh, going to be a while because he picked the biggest one he could find. So that will be reinforcement, but he's learning to delay gratification. And then the last one, which is still a challenge at his age, is the give. So it's, this is not for you. This is for something else. To date, his favorite charity has been his sister when she goes shopping. But one day it's going to change to understanding that that money has to go if he, you know, if he saw a commercial for kids, uh, for, for dogs in a shelter that he felt sad about, that is his mechanism for dealing with that, right? So it's uh, it's a wonderful little strategy. We, we actually give these as gifts to clients, but uh, it's a good way to really start early if you want. Absolutely. No, I think that's that makes a lot of sense. It's a great idea. I did want, I want to tell you about one thing that we just, that we've been involved with, which again, some of your listeners or advisors should be aware of, and that is some of the older Canadians who have been in business are doing their estate planning right now. They're doing an estate freeze or they're doing a thaw and a refreeze. They may have set up a family trust to maximize, you know, the lifetime capital gains exemptions. Great. Let's just mm -hmm. put that aside for a second. Let's say they're charitable. 
let's say they've done this freeze and they've got this money, sort of they got these preferred shares and they pass along their common shares to the trust or to their kids and spouse. So now they've got this money. What are they going to do with it? So we just had a situation where two brothers sold their business for $150 million. And basically after taxes, et cetera, they both are sitting there with about $75, $70 million in each of their holding companies. And, and they did a freeze. So we did the analysis on one of them. And he's, again, a very charitable person. And basically there was going to be about a $7 million, let's say a terminal tax when he goes, $7 million. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we did something called a private share donation strategy, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Jason. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, so it's a way to actually donate your private shares to charity. Now, of course, how do you redeem them? You use insurance, right? So I'll just Mm -hmm. tell you what the net net was. He had a $7 million tax. Instead, we reduced that tax down to $335,000. He's going to be making a $14 million charitable donation. And at the end of the day, the the icing on the cake is it's also going to create for him a $7 million tax-free capital dividend that's going to be able to be distributed to his children and grandchildren. And that $14 million, again, of insurance, that was going to be a donation, would now offset the taxes that were due on that ultimate windup. So it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. We reduced the taxes, we created CDA, we created a $14 million donation, and then to make it even nicer, we used a financing strategy to acquire the insurance. So all that stuff, it's all- I was gonna ask you about that because I've seen this a couple of times now. Yeah, Yeah. there's no cookie cutter here. Every single situation is very unique, but that was Mm -hmm. not something he came to us with. That was something after going through a discussion around his planning that we were able to find on his behalf. And his bankers all on board, the accountants on board, the lawyer. I mean, again, it, it, it's not for everybody, but that's where the difference is between investing and planning. We really do believe in the planning side. Absolutely. And there's one other strategy I want to make sure we hit upon before we wrap up and we're not wrapping up yet, but I want to make sure we don't miss it. And I know you and I have both done a little bit of work with uh, people over at SickKids in Toronto. And there's, there's a particular strategy that comes to mind specifically when a business owner just doesn't want to keep a policy anymore. Say there's a partner's insurance uh, in place and they're like, I no longer need this or I don't care. You know, I, I just, whatever's left is going to go to my kids. And there's really, you know, there's no, there's no desire to keep this policy or keep paying for it. What can they do to maximize the value? Jason, so I'm so up. glad you brought this up. <laughs> well, I wrote an article about it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start from the high end. Believe it or not, in Canada, there's $7 billion of term life insurance that falls off the books on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. That means these policies no longer are needed. Perhaps they're not needed for a, a shareholder or buy-sell agreement anymore because you sold the business. Or they just became too expensive. You know, they renew every 10 or 20 years. Very expensive. Or somebody doesn't want to convert them. They can't afford it. So they basically want to lose the policy. That's one approach. Or they have an old policy that's sitting around. I know you can have multiple policies in your life. I have a $100,000 North American life policy, 151. I mean, you have different policies and they might not move the dial any longer on my own family's planning, but maybe is there something I could do to actually do something nice for charity and also save some taxes? So let me give you an example. I had a uh, an individual who uh, was an alumnus at Bishop's University in Quebec, and he had a $300,000 term life insurance policy that he didn't want anymore. He didn't need, he was willing to donate it to the university, the foundation there. And he'd become uninsurable. He developed Parkinson's a number of years ago. So, mm. so what he did was he converted that policy 
to a permanent mm-hmm. policy. We Which, then by the way, he never would be able to get another policy because he was now uninsurable, right? So. Correct. And here we could convert yeah. any term policy only up yeah. until age 75 can be converted. So he, do, he converted the policy without any medical evidence. The policy, because of his Parkinson's, is worth $175,000. That's based on a independent actuarial analysis. I'll just be clear on this, if I may. I just want to make sure because people, this is an important part people will not understand. So if I set up a new policy, technically as of right now, it's worth nothing, right? It's just, it's worth a promise in the future. However, down the road, that policy might be worth something. Why is it worth something? Because basically I have to look at what I'm paying for that policy versus if I was to replace it. So simple point, if that gentleman was insurable and was able to get a new permanent policy, that policy would be worth nothing. But because he is now uninsurable, the difference between what realistically he would pay for a policy if he could be insured versus a healthy person, present value that, $150,000. That's where we get it from. Exactly. So it has to be done with an independent actuary. So they provide the valuation based on your life expectancy and current costs for a policy, et cetera. So so the value was $175,000. He now donates that policy to Bishop's University. It's a charitable Mm -hmm. receipt for $175,000, which basically saves him $87,500 of taxes, which he can use, whatever he doesn't use in this year, he can carry forward for a five-year period of time. And going forward, they either if he continues to pay the premiums, they're considered charitable donations. So he gets a receipt for that. He gets recognized for a big, big gift, right? You know, three hundred thousand mm-hmm. is not easy. Or like with sick kids or with the bishops or other places, they look at that as a great investment in their foundation. And often we can find foundations that will actually pay the premiums going forward because they mm-hmm. see what the internal rate of return is on that versus them putting it into a GIC or a T-bill or something. It's outstanding. Yep. So, so anybody who's got an old term policy and they're uninsurable, or they've got an old life insurance policy that perhaps they don't need anymore. It's a permanent policy. Yep. You get a nice charitable receipt. And the beautiful part is, used to be, Jason, that charities only recognize current gifts. Give me cash, you'll get on the wall. Now they're recognizing yep. planned gifts. So, you know, hmm. here you could do something, a $300,000 gift that they recognize you for, even though it's not going to come for another 20 years potentially, but they look at that as a gift. And that's really nice yep. for families who want to be recognized to pass along that, that good vibe to their children and grandchildren that mom and dad or grandma and grandpa are really, really community yep. mo- motivated. And I just want to be clear because I think we want to be absolutely clear that people understand where this works. It is term policies when you are, your insurability has changed. So when you convert it over, it's a policy you wouldn't be able to get in the market or permanent policies that are older simply because that premium you're paying now is based on when you were younger. Even if your health hasn't changed, there is a present value difference between what you would pay for a new policy versus what you're paying for that one. And that is worth something. So uh, I actually wrote an article with the co-author, Brian Cabral. It's still available on advisor.ca for anyone who wants to read that. But this is a, a you know lovely, lovely strategy. It's, it's funny. I remember one conversation I had with someone who said, you know, I think it was their neighbor's like parent got like a wing in a hospital or something like that. It was some something, it was, it was big, but it wasn't something like, it wasn't like the name of the hospital itself or something like that, like, like the Garen hospital. But they said, yeah, you know, they, geez, you know, I'm never gonna be able to donate that kind of money. And I looked at them and said, well, in theory you could. And I just explained the entire, you know, insurance angle of this. And he's like, I was like, now you just have to decide if you want to or not. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> By the way, that, when you mentioned about Brian Cabral, is that who's at Gluskin? That Brian? Yeah, he's at Gluskin. He was at uh, he was at GBL, uh, which was one of the actuarial firms I would use back in the day. 
Great. He's a great guy. No, very, very smart yep. guy and very good planner. Yeah. So that's one way. Another way uh, of using insurance is I see there are different kinds of people who, who like to give. Some people want to give and be completely anonymous. If you put their name anywhere, they'll never give you another cent. I like those kind of people. <laughs> Second kind of people give because they want to encourage others to give. Third wants yep. to give because they like their name on a building or on an elevator or something. And the fourth who likes to give is somebody who gives because they know it's good for business. It's really good for business to mm. be philanthropic. So we work with a lot of young entrepreneurs. And I'll tell you one of the, the arrangements we did with Sick Kids was a real estate developer. He's 27 years of age. And what we did was we created a $1 million gift of insurance that would be paid over 10 years to sick kids. But in this case, we made sick kids the owner and beneficiary of the policy from the get-go, mm-hmm. which means his $10,000 a year that he's paying over 10 years for a million-dollar gift only costs him 50 because he gets a charitable receipt for each 10000 So $50,000, gives over 10 years. And now he's recognized as a million dollar giver to Sick Kids Hospital. There so they put go. him up on the JP Bicknell board, which is wonderful. But now he gets invited to all the, the large donor events where those are people who re- normally write a check for a hundred grand and he's getting in for five grand, right? A year. Mm-hmm. And now he gets to be around a lot of people, which helps his raise his profile in the real estate development business amongst people that he'd really like to meet with. So we've done these types of gifts for people 27, 29, 31. It's a great idea if you really want to build out your business and you're charitable. It's great cachet for you and your business. It certainly does not hurt. And now I see a number of advisors thinking about doing the exact same thing. And more powerful. <laughs> the interesting thing is and one of the funnier parts about this, and I say funny, is that insurance companies will never publicly say it, but they hate these strategies. <laughs> Because it just, this, like, again, as you said before, the number, the amount of uh, term insurance that drops off the map every year because people stop paying for it, that's what's known as a lapse ratio, right? How many of those is a percentage of the total book? And that lapse ratio gets completely screwed up when you start doing stuff like this. So if this becomes super popular, we can expect premiums to go up. However, there's not, a, unfortunately, these conversations are not being had as much as they could be. Look at the, for the amount of business that's actually being done and charities, it is the tiniest little fraction. Remember, there are very few people who are really talking about this strategic philanthropy. So, I mean, there was a case out in BC, you know, the BC finance people shut this down because they did have somebody who was doing this, uh, kind of, they kind of called it, you know, being in yeah. the insurance policy business. They've since uh, come back off the ledge and said, you know, again, if it was done properly, person's charitable, you got to go through all those. And the insurance companies also are, are, are careful with that as well. We just don't want to get into a situation of life settlements or viaticals, which are still illegal here in, in most parts of Canada. Yeah, it's interesting. I think they actually, I haven't looked at it recently, but they paired that, they backtracked that all together because I mean, did, a, yeah. a number of us looked at that and said, this is ridiculous. Like this is, I'm not sure who interpreted this on behalf of what insurance company, but it went too far. The initial interpretation, in my opinion, went too far. They did backtrack it, thankfully. So if you're in, if you're in BC and these are tangible gifts, this is still a, tra- a great strategy. So before we wrap up, any kind of final words of advice for business owners and advisors out there who are looking at how they can take what they have now, amplify it, and be philanthropic? Yes. So I'm going to take the very high road, the top end. You know, we, the world has changed. Can't be a product pusher, or a product peddler. In order to, to sustain yourself and be successful going to the future, you have to be a problem solver. So you can't be sort of a, a solution looking for a problem. And where that comes from is a lot of our clients 
business owners, wealthy families, they're kind of like more offense. They like the offense. It's much more sexy and exciting to be on the offense mm-hmm. side building. But when it comes to the defense, they really don't have a very strong team there. I kind of equate it with with hockey. You know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. talk about my beloved Toronto Maple Leafs because I feel like a loser there for, you know, since 1967. It's an abusive relationship, Mark. Nah, you need to get out I, of it. I you know. <laughs> I, was just, uh, I was talking to two people about it today who said they're Montreal and Chicago fans, and I, I didn't want to admit that I still love the Leafs. But anyway, I hate them. But that, that aside, <laughs> who are the teams that win the Stanley Cup, Jason? It's not the ones who have the best goal scorers. It's the guys who have the best defensemen and the Hot best goalie. goalies. Hot yeah. goalie. And that's the way that we look at our business, our professional practice, is – we're the defense for those busy people. They all have what I call incompletions that rent space in their brain. They're not even, you know, it, it takes away some of their energy and they need someone to look at things from this big picture. We have to carve out the philanthropy as part of an overall planning strategy for our clients and find out what they'd like to see happen as opposed to telling them what they need to do, find out what they want to have happen. And that really, to me, is the most, is the the pure essence of what we're doing professionally ourselves, yourself as well, Jason, but that's also the future. So I would implore people to find somebody, sit down, have a 30-minute, 45-minute conversation. You'll be shocked by finding out all of those incompletions that really you, you should be losing sleep at night, not having taken care of, but there's no greater feeling in the world when you go through this and you get those things all done. Now you can rest well at night and you can, mm-hmm. you can busy, you know, building your empire and not worry about what can happen to the back, including being remiss by not having a charitable strategy in place for your family. Mark, thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate this. And hopefully this is, I mean, the simple fact that your company is focusing on creating a hundred million dollars per year of new charitable uh, flows is just remarkable. Like a kudos to you. And hopefully this podcast on a lesser level inspires a lot of other people, business owners, advisors, whoever else is listening to start looking at some of these strategies of amplifying their philanthropic desires or their philanthropic efforts in order to basically hopefully make this a better world. So I thank you for this. Pleasure, Jason. I thank you very much. And I'm counting on you now uh, with our $100 million goal that I'm, not, I'm counting on you for at least a fifth of that. Okay. So we'll. Oh, let's, no let's, pressure. Okay. Let's, no pressure. Let's no, let's, let's do some great things together. We can really absolutely do some amazing stuff. So I hope that we'll get Excellent. an opportunity in the future. Excellent. So, uh, and lastly, where can people find you? You can send an email to me directly, mark at wealthinsurance.com. You can call my office number 905-475-1313. You can go online to our website, wealthinsurance.com. Or if you like to yodel, just open your window of your bedroom and scream out, Mark Halpern. And somehow it'll get to me and I'll, I'll be in touch. I'd like to test that theory. We'll see if that works. Anyway, thanks again. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. All the best. So that was today's episode of Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope, uh, like I said, you were inspired to potentially look at greater efforts in philanthropy and looking at ways to amplify whatever resources you do have to create an even bigger impact. And as always, this has been Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. And If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. 
or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you. 